0: Welcome to the Legal Services Board series of podcasts on developing approaches to regulation for the use of technology in legal services. Applications of technologies like artificial intelligence and blockchain are increasingly enabling lawyers to provide services to their clients in new and innovative ways and have the potential to transform the market for legal services in England and Wales. In this series of podcasts, the LSB will be speaking to experts on legal services, technologies and regulation about the challenges that new technologies present to legal services regulation and how legal services regulators in England and Wales can approach these challenges. Hello, I'm David Fowlis, a regulatory policy manager at the Legal Services Board. Today I'm talking with Professor Noel Semple of the University of Windsor in Ontario, Canada about whether the framework for legal services regulation in England and Wales is ready to respond to the challenges posed by technological innovation. Noel, welcome to the podcast. If you'd like to introduce yourself.
1: Thanks, David. It's a pleasure to be chatting with you today. Uh, So uh, I'm an associate professor at the University of Windsor Faculty of Law in Ontario, Canada. Uh, I write about legal services regulation with a particular focus on access to justice. Uh, I've done some work on how the market for legal services works, as well as some international comparative work uh, about uh, legal services regulatory regimes around the world.
0: Okay, well thank you, Noel. And and building on that international comparative work you've done about um legal regimes, regulatory regimes, what would you say are the main ways that the LSA framework that we have here in England and Wales differs from others? Just so we can have a bit of context for people listening outside of England.
1: Right. So I'd say many um scholars of legal services regulation see England and Wales as sort of a, a vanguard jurisdiction in the sense that many of the trends that we've seen in regulation around the world have kind of manifested most fully in your regime. More concretely, it's uh, one of the more liberal regimes in the world. You can do more things with less regulatory uh, oversight than you can elsewhere. The exclusion of advice giving from the regulatory regime is quite starkly different from the situation we have in North America. Here, any Mm -hmm. uh, offering of legal advice is considered practice of law and subject to regulation. The uh, other thing which really distinguishes your regime is its liberality with regard to what we call business structure regulations. So your openness to alternative business structures, the uh, regulatory tolerance for legal professionals working, collaborating with others, using capital from outside the legal guild is, uh, is quite distinct. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, uh, on, on a structural governance level, um, the Legal Services Act regime with this kind of. Uh, complex network of uh, of regulators and the idea of regulatory competition was, you know, groundbreaking in 2007 and, and still still is in many ways.
0: And what challenges would you say there have been, to, even though the, the Act and the framework has been supportive of, of innovation in alternative business structures, what challenges do you think have been experienced or, or still are being experienced by people wanting to set up um, alternative structures?
1: Well, I think that um, there's a sense of disappointment at the level of innovation uh, that's occurred in legal services um, in England and Wales, and in fact, throughout the world. I think people who look at you know the information technology sector or consumer products at the type of transformative, um, continually disruptive innovation you see in those economic sectors and then look to legal services um, are, are, are disappointed uh mm-hmm. now i'm not sure that's a consequence of regulation and i'm not sure that any uh regulatory reform can change that like i think it may just be unrealistic to spec- expect professional services to be uh moving as fast as uh as movement you see in other other parts of the economy
0: right and you think that's happening not just with say business structures but also so to say technology where people are trying to innovate in that field is it is it a case that it's that the ideas that people are having perhaps outside the legal services sector simply aren't getting, aren't making it into the sector, or do you think it's more a case that the legal services sector itself isn't thinking about innovation, isn't uh, trying to do, isn't developing innovative ideas or isn't trying to seek sort of new business through that um, innovation?
1: I think both those things are true. So, uh, so you mentioned first, you know, whether, Innovative things happening in other sectors are are failing to be kind of manifested or brought into the legal sector. And I think that's true. So, you know, if you think about kind of the peer-to-peer sharing of information or kind of the the social network revolution, uh, Web 2.0, whatever you want to call it, where sort of people help each other um, and share information and, and like that's an idea that people have kind of tried to bring into law. Uh, and it's just kind of run up against the reality that you know law still is a, a matter of expertise, right? It's still, uh, in some sense, an e- esoteric knowledge, which has to be applied to specific individual cases and situations, right? And that's that was true 150 years ago, and it, it still is. So uh, that sort of nut hasn't yet been cracked on how you can bring that in. And there's other examples as well of sort of kind of big ideas in tech or big Big sources of innovation, which uh, have kind of failed to manifest themselves in the same exciting, transformative way when it comes to to legal services. But you also said uh, something which I think is equally true, which is that people in within the legal services sector aren't as inclined to be to innovate, to change things as radically as you would find in other parts of the economy. And I think that's that's true because. People don't generally go to law school and become lawyers because uh, they want to, you know, burn the world down from their garage and, and change things sure. dramatically, right? It's it's still uh, a profession that people get into because they, you know, want to make a difference in the world, help people, but they also want a steady career. Uh, so I think there's some of the sort of sociology of law training and the type of people who become lawyers is not necessarily uh, one that uh, that leads itself to that that type of transformation.
0: In your experience, do you think that the regulators in England and Wales and perhaps el- and elsewhere are doing enough to sort of encourage technological innovation? Um, it's something we we'll probably talk about a little bit later on. But what challenges do you think technological innovation prevent- presents for legal regulators, and and how might they sort of work to overcome that? It's kind of
1: not a natural frame of mind for reg- I mean, the, the essence of regulation is is controlling risks, right? Is mit- sure. mitigating risks, you know, pre- preventing bad outcomes from mm-hmm. the operation of, of of a free market. Yeah. So it's a it's a much more recent idea that regulators should be the ones who actually foster innovation, like the sort mm-hmm. of the, the natural capitalist take on that is that it's, it's the free market that creates innovation. It's, it's regulators who control risks. And I'm not sure that's wrong. that might be an old fashioned idea, but I think I still think it's, uh, again, I I don't want people to be too um, optimistic about the the extent to which regulators can actually be a source of, of innovation.
0: I mean, there's been some technological innovation in the past that's affected how lawyers do their job. Um, and in your paper, you talk about technologies, but those technologies up to now being largely supportive um, and that you've now, we're we're now seeing the advent of substitutive technologies. Could you just perhaps elaborate a little bit about what the difference between those two things are and then perhaps why the new types of technologies might require a bit of a different response from regulators?
1: Sure. Yeah. So this is a phrase that's uh, used by Stephen Mason, um, this distinction between substitutive and supportive. So a supportive technology is one which helps helps a person do their work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, email um, is a supportive technology or Skype that we're using to talk today is a supportive technology that lets, that lets you and I do our work, but it's probably yeah. work we, we could have done anyway in the absence of that supportive technology. Um, whereas substituted technology replaces human labor. And, in terms of the difference that shift makes in regulation, uh when you have substitutive technology and you have tasks being done and uh, outputs being created without human intervention or with much less human intervention, it raises the question of who who bears regulatory responsibility so So, in the paper, I talk about uh, you know if uh, if an algorithm or a sort of smart bot is created by some set of programmers and you know maybe they're mm-hmm. in India or California and then that technology is uh, adopted by a UK firm and it's maybe hosted on a website run by a different set of solicitors the fact that the technology is in itself doing the work rather than the human mm-hmm. creates a question for of regulators like if it goes wrong if someone screws up who, who do we hold responsible yeah uh, so that's kind of a, like a technical challenge for regulation in political economy terms, substitute technology creates a risk of or, or enhances the risk of economic protectionism because, uh, you know, protecting good jobs is something that people care about, right? It's something right. the regulators care about. So if the uh, the SRA is, um, and I'm not saying this is happening, just hypothetically, like if they sure. see substitute technology creating large scale unemployment as solicitors or making it much harder for, for trainees to get jobs, then they come they come under pressure and they just out of a matter of human compassion, they may be inclined to say, let's put the brakes on substitute technology and protect those good jobs. And, and that type of uh, inclination may be incompatible with what the LSA regime expects that regulator to do in terms of fostering innovation and yes. focusing on consumer interests.
0: I mean, of course. I suppose there's a the counterpoint to that, which is that m- many technological innovations have actually created new types of jobs, and you you might, for example, see the creation of new classes of lawyer or new classes of paralegal who have a, both a, a legal and technological, you know, skill set. That so obviously things like you know might need to code contracts that kind of thing, so I, I suppose there's one there's there's a flip side to that which is that it's not just that you might lose jobs you might you might also gain them in, in different ways.
1: Oh yeah I mean that's that's absolutely right i mean people people have been worried about technological unemployment since the Luddites were smashing yes. looms in the eighteen thirties, and yet mm. every generation of technology creates creates more employment than it destroys, and you know unemployment is I think at record lows in in many parts of the of yeah. the wealthy world right now.
0: well, just think about some other challenges and the fact you just mentioned about how it's hard to know who actually regulates the technology whether or or who should be regulated. Um, whether it's a developer, whether it's the, the lawyer who uses the technology, whether it's the website operator, is there a issue under the, the way legal services regulation structured in England and Wales that it won't be, wouldn't be fed the, say the SRA, for example, wouldn't be able to easily regulate a developer of technology. Would they, they will obviously only be able to regulate the lawyer using it. And is there a chance that that might not actually be the right person to regulate as such?
1: I think that is a real risk, yeah, and it's it's something I talk about in the paper um, Mm. in um, section uh, section three point six and then three point four that we assume now that if if you if you regulate the uh, entity which is actually consumer facing, you can require that firm or that lawyer or that legal service provider to. Take regulatory responsibility for all the technology they use uh, right. in in providing that service, whereas in other um, sectors of the economy, that's not the case. so so I use the example of of medical devices, right, right? so uh, you know lawyers or sorry doctors will prescribe you know a, an artificial joint for mm-hmm. for someone who needs a new hip, right and the medical regulator might say, okay, doctors are a regulated professionals so we're just going to require doctors to, you know, only prescribe hips that are suitable for purpose and that work properly. And if there's something wrong with that hip, then the doctor is going to be held responsible. In fact, we don't do that. We, we regulate medical devices independently, along with regulating the regulated professionals who provide or, or prescribe those devices to clients. So at some point in the future, uh, and I don't think we're there yet, but at some point in the future it might be necessary to say, look, these technologies, uh, you know, the artificial intelligence, the the big data applications that are used to augment legal service provision are so esoteric and so powerful that it's not sufficient to expect the provider to to be held responsible. We actually have to go to the source and and regulate the technology itself.
0: So you you've said that, you know, you can overall conclusion is that with a few tweaks, the legal services regime we have here in England and Wales should be able to accommodate technological innovation. You note that there are two main types of of regulatory risk that the framework will have to deal with, and and they're basically under-regulation and over-regulation, and you go into detail on that in in your paper. Um, If we take a look at under-regulation risks initially, what would you say the main under-regulation risks are? as far as technology innovation is concerned?
1: So there's lots of legal services which are just not covered by the LSA, right? So the entire right. sphere of, uh, of advice giving, um, as I mm. said, like this is, this is a distinctive thing about the LSA. And there are, um, you know, there's things that could be done in that sector that would be very deleterious to, to consumers, um, things yeah. that technology might make more likely to happen. Uh, mm-hmm. So you know, someone someone could set up a website just offering like you know, gar- garbage, misleading advice about employment law or whatever. Right. Uh, and um, as as I understand it, that would not be subject to any um, LSA regime regulation. Now it is subject to non LSA regulation, so the non sector specific regulation is there.
0: So so consumer law essentially.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I I, I do say that uh, the protection of Legal privilege. So, section 190 of the Legal Services Act basically says that when when someone gives their information to a legal services provider, the other legal entities can't compel that legal service provider to to divulge that information. So, the right. classic example there is you know someone who's committed a crime um, or has done something else that would be of interest to law enforcement authorities. Mm-hmm. You can't compel their lawyer to to breach that. And That's a core idea of legal ethics around yeah. the world. So that right now applies only to LSA regulated um, professionals. Um, I, I argue sure. that could be extended to all information related to the provision of of legal advice. Okay. So those are a couple of examples of kind of kind of tweaks I'm talking about.
0: Sure. So that would mean effectively bringing in a a host of. Um, and it's not a huge part of the market but but about uh, people who are just pure unregulated legal providers into some sort of regulatory regime
1: yeah a very light touch regulatory regime uh, but but i, th- I mean the, the traditional rationale for legal services regulation is that legal advice even if it's mere advice is a, it's a credence good and it's a good where there's an, an information asymmetry right people right cannot tell whether that's good employment advice or, or garbage employment advice. And yeah. you know if it's employment law advice, it's being provided by a consortium of employers who have uh, a vested interest in making people think certain incorrect things about employment law. That's potentially... I'm not saying this is actually happening, but I'm saying there's no. um, there, there's at least a, a rationale for regulation there. Mm.
0: Do you think it's a case that essentially the problem with under-regulation is that consumers would receive poor service? Or do you think it's more about the fact that if, we did, if you have under-regulation, legal services providers and technology developers won't feel confident to enter the legal services market?
1: Yeah, I think, I think both those can, can be true. So in the paper, uh, in section 3.9, I talk about whether the, the status quo might deter entrepreneurship. There's there's a certain, and again, this isn't a huge problem. I think it's it's a risk that needs to be kept on the view screen, though, whereby um, the complexity of the LSA regime, like, I mean, I don't know, was it like 15 or 20 regulatory bodies all in and some of the ambiguities in it, right? So there's like this, there's ambiguity in the regime about, for example, who is going to be able to peer uh, before certain courts and tribunals because okay. judges are, are given discretion, mm-hmm. right, to, to let people appear, make representations before them. And the, the whole McKenzie Friends regime is another example of that. So, so there's a potential that, um, that, that, you know, an entrepreneur or, you know, some brilliant person who's, you know, in a garage somewhere, right, thinking about, well, am I going to put my you know, entrepreneurial brilliance to work in the field of legal services, or am I going to try to revolutionize um, the pencil industry instead is going to say, well, I'm staying away from legal services because it's such a, such a mess. So it's not not a mess, but so complex. I can't get my head around it. I won't be able to predict what my startup can do and can't do. And therefore the venture capitalists won't see a potential, you know, and so forth. So, uh, So, so that's, that's a possibility.
0: But do you think mainly the concern is around is around consumer protection?
1: Yeah, I'd say that's that's the most obvious uh, concern. So so whether consumers are going to be exploited by a completely unregulated advice giving, uh, yeah. and also there's the uh, the import question there that the Legal Services Act regime applies to providers within England and Wales. And mm-hmm. there's no provision there for, for controlling imports. And one of the things technology is doing is increasing the, uh, the feasibility of, of, of imports. Sure. The classic example there is this uh, is do not pay. And these yeah. kind of bots, which are based elsewhere, typically in the, in the mm-hmm. United States, but are, are providing legal services in England and Wales. So again, this is not some, there's no evidence I've come across, at least that this is a, currently a source of. You know of exploitation or wrong to right. consumers in England and Wales, but uh, it's something that should be on the view screen that if technology leads to more and more pervasive importing of legal services and more and more pervasive importing of deficient consumer harming legal services, then at some point you might need to change the regime. so it takes explicit account of of imports.
0: okay. Do, do you think the, the the lack of evidence um, of consumer detriment so far from? is more to do with just there isn't enough um, actual activity? Or do you think it's because there isn't what the activity that's there isn't actually detrimental? If you see what I mean. We just haven't, we just, it hasn't hit a critical mass where you're actually going to notice that there's a problem.
1: You know, like if, if there's no, if there's no evidence of a problem, it's, it's very hard to say um, yeah. to answer that question. Um, I, I do think that you know the Legal Services Board and uh, has you know world-leading research capacity between your work and and the work of the consumer panel and the ombudsman. Like you guys are really sort of ahead of the curve when it comes to actually doing surveys of consumers and the, the CMA as well, uh, actually doing yeah. empirical research about what's happening. I, I do think that giving the ombudsman uh, scope over complaints involving unregulated legal advice giving would be an additional source of empirical data, right? Like yeah. if, if people are being ripped off by unregulated advice giving websites, then they should be able to tell the ombudsman about that and that would create yeah. an evidence base for to know even whether there's a need for further regulation.
0: Are there some other issues around um, the, way, the way the LSA framework works and the fact that we have, say, a multiplicity of regulators of varying sizes of different potential capacities to handle uh technological regulation. When you say compare it to say financial services where you essentially in the, in the UK, we have one large financial services regulator.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So that's, that's an interesting one. As your listeners probably know, there's um, a, a large number of of regulators of sort of occupations in, in England, some of which, as you say, are quite small. So, um, technology kind of increases the demands on these frontline regulators uh, or approved regulators, I guess is the proper term. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt whatsoever. The technological change requires constant regulatory reform, right? Both because Mm -hmm. it gives rise to new risks that have to be responded to. And also because it can uh, mitigate previously existing risks and thereby justify rollback or, or reduction in regulatory intervention to sort of mm-hmm. maximize consumer interests. So that's constant sort of balancing act and necessity to kind of tweak your entrance requirements and your, uh, your codes of conduct um, and all these other things. That work falls on these frontline approved regulators. And uh, it's possible that some of them are just kind of too small to, to keep up with that.
0: I mean is is there also an issue there perhaps that there might be too much that's in say legislation uh, primary legislation and that regulators would actually need more flexibility to manage um, innovation themselves rather is is there, are they going to be bound by sort of outdated legislation whether that's primary or or secondary legislation
1: so, um, meaning like things in the LSA itself?
0: Yes. or yeah, yeah, Yes, things, things in the LSA itself or, for example, that are at, say, the discretion of the Lord, the, the Ministry of Justice, Lord Chancellor's Department here to, to make alterations to how the types of activities that are regulated, that sort of thing. Do If, if we have more innovation um, that's, you know, that maybe moving quite quickly, will the, reg, do you think the regulators will be, have the flexibility, say, to be able to to address it, to address issues
1: you know I, like I, I I think we can think up scenarios where that would fail to happen but I haven't seen it fail to happen yet um, okay. and and from an outsider's perspective like the LSA regime seems to have a lot of built-in flexibility maybe at the expense of like you know too much time and money being spent with regulators kind of fighting each other or having to hash things out but but it seems like you know it's, it's a really compelling to me at least sort of network structure right where you've got the frontline approved regulators you've got the lsb you've got these kind of consumer facing regulatory bodies like the ombudsman and so on and you've got a a level of parliamentary uh oversight of of the whole thing uh and it seems like it it was drafted in a way that that anticipated change or 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 sort of built in the ability to to change like you uh, you can approve the regulators to do new things you can you know, at, at the LSB level, you you can sort of re- regulate yourself. Like you guys can create meta regulation. You have these kind of tools to foster collaboration. Like maybe it just like from my perspective, looking at it from the outside and looking at the act, it makes a lot more sense in principle than it actually seems to make okay. when you're in it. But uh, from here, it looks pretty good. David, so, can, can you say yeah. one more thing? Um, yes,
0: of course. Uh,
1: just about so this. The, the work the lsb does to okay. what we think of sometimes is like meta regulatory work like regulating yeah. the regulators
0: o- oversight regulation that's,
1: that's right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah okay so i guess that's the current term this regulatory performance assessment thing I, I find really interesting kind of report cards on on the frontline regulators that's right and i what i like about that is that it uh it's kind of it, it honors the idea in the the legal services act that, Mm -hmm. you know, there are specificities, like there's, there's, you know, things that are unique about being a cost lawyer. Right. And that the the frontline regulators exist for a reason to sort of Mm -hmm. take account of specificities of that practice context and regulate in a way, which is, which, which is responsive to that. But at the same time, the LSB's role is to kind of keep an eye on that. So I think yep. this regulatory performance assessment regime is perhaps a, a very effective way to, to deal with the risks that technology can create. If that's in section 3.7, I talk about the idea of of kind of modifying that to, uh, to include some references to technology, some kind of lines on that report card that are, that are about how those regulators are uh, responding to that. And that's, that kind of can contribute to a, a healthy conversation between the different levels in, in the regime about, about how to keep up.
0: Because I mean, that's one of the challenges that the you can argue that the LSA regime presents is that whereas in, say, financial services where you have one big regulator, obviously, if a technology is used across a series of activities or by different types of service provider to provide, say, the same activity, they can look at it holistically. I, I think that's one of the challenges we find we may find here is that where you say you have solicitors who do conveyancing, selling property. And then you have convey you have licensed conveyancers who sell property. And then you have potentially legal executives doing that as well. That you could end up with three somewhat different regimes for addressing how they all use, say, blockchain, just for argument's sake. And that's one of the things that we wonder whether the framework may work as well as as what we'll need to do to coordinate across those those sort of regulatory boundaries, and that's something that the, LS, the LSB will may need to think about how that how that works.
1: Absolutely, yeah. That's I mean that's exactly the sort of thing the LSB is there to to do. I think.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's move on to overregulation uh, risks now. What do you consider to be the the main risks to technology regulation from from overregulation, and is it something that's going to affect consumers directly, or is it more likely to affect, say, the providers and the technology developers?
1: Yeah. So, so in the paper, I use this, um, this metaphor of like a flame, right? So technology, yeah. technological innovation as a flame, which, you know, ideally you want the flame to kind of create heat and light, right. uh, which is sort of what, what I think of as the potential of innovation. Yeah. To, to increase access to justice, to give consumers better quality services and lower price services as well. But at the same time, you don't want that flame to burn down the house. So, uh, so under-regulation is about making sure the flame doesn't get out of hand. But uh, the overregulation risk is that regulation is going to choke the flame, deprive it of fuel, and then it'll fail to do all the good things, which we expect innovation to do.
0: Do, what ev- do you think there's any current evidence of overregulation?
1: Not really. So, so here I was guided in uh, in large part by the LSB's research. Uh, so you've done these these major surveys of uh, of providers in yeah. the legal services realm, uh, and then there was a, another one that was done by by another group, and you know basically asking questions to firms about you know are you innovating, um, how are you innovating, and to the extent that you're not, why aren't you innovating? And it doesn't seem to me like regulation is really choking that that process. Just reading those surveys, also, uh, you know, I don't think there's any jurisdiction in the world like given that every jurisdiction regulates legal services. If there was some other part of the world where, you know, legal services are dramatically more innovative than they are in England and Wales, then that would be a red flag that there's something wrong with your regime. That's not the case. I mean, mm-hmm. even. Uh, you know, Silicon Valley is kind of the the ultimate hotbed of innovation of all kinds in the wealthy world today. They're not really transforming legal services, right? I mean, there's uh, Rocket Lawyer and LegalZoom and a couple others, and there's lots of people who are trying. There's lots of startups, but it's not mm-hmm. really happening, right? So that, that, to me, that sort of international comparative piece uh, suggests that to the extent that it's not happening as much as we'd like to hope it would, it's not a problem with your regulation.
0: Do, do you think there's something about legal service that maybe makes them slightly less amenable to technology regulation than, or technology, technological innovation, I should have said, than other services that we that we buy then?
1: I think that might be the case. Like, I think, you know, there's a sense in which law is inherently a, a source of stability as opposed to a source of innovation in in society, right? That, you know, it's kind of like the, the ballast in, in the ship of state and, sure. and law and legal services are what give human beings comfort or, or security that things will continue to be in some sense, the way they were uh, 10 or 20 or a hundred years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, given that everything else we do and our, you know, the way we work uh, and the way we govern and and everything else is consumed by constant technological change and, and disruption law and and and, and the lawyer client relationship like it's you know an old fashioned idea but it's still true that th- this this is about uh, a trusted professional offering you know advice to individuals about w- which apply esoteric um expertise and and trust is 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 essential to that relationship and like i'm not saying that's, that it doesn't need to change or that there's not to be innovation but i'm just saying that people should not you know, necessarily take consumer technology or information technology as kind of the benchmark for innovation and assume that if legal services falls below that in any way, there's something desperately wrong.
0: Okay. And so you're not seeing, for example, any, or do you think there's a potential for um, sort of protectionism or reluctance by, say, politicians to um, to overregulate because, you know, many of them happen to be lawyers um, and but also that there's a avoiding risk sort of, you know, concerned about overcautious perhaps about risk.
1: Yes, those certainly are risks, right? So, um, so protectionism are simply being the idea that to the extent that market participants control regulation, they will use it to mm-hmm. protect themselves. That's the ancient critique of, of professional self-regulation. And then there's also this gold plating risk, where you know it's not that the people who run the SRA are trying to keep out competitors to line their pockets, but they just mm-hmm. you, you know they're they're over they're overly um, Keen on the idea that solicitors' work has to be as has to be excellent, uh, and therefore yeah. they over-regulate it, and that you know ultimately is to the detriment of consumer interests because quality is overemphasized at the expense of of price considerations. Yeah. So those are risks, but I think those are risks that the drafters of the Legal Services Act anticipated. And I think that you know for example, the, there's the, the role of the uh, the Office of Fair Trading, now the uh, competition and markets Authority is, is written into the LSA, right? Like they have a yeah. specific role and that's one that they've, they've they've acted on, right? They''ve, they've written reports. Mm-hmm. The LSB likewise uh, is is designed to be to have no pecuniary interest in in these questions and to be an oversight body that makes sure that the frontline regulators are not gold plating or, or engaging in protectionism. So, so the short answer is it definitely is a risk, but I think it's one the LSA regime responds to adequately.
0: Can you imagine a situation where a few years from now, a new technology comes to the market that causes a real problem from a regulatory perspective, and that we're not one that we're not sure how to handle? Do you think this is something that the current framework is sufficiently flexible to respond to?
1: Yeah, so I, I certainly would not foreclose the possibility that um, something big will happen in legal tech within, within five years or even, you know, 18 months uh, will create a major new under-regulation problem or over-regulation problem. Um, I mean, the future is inherently un- unknowable. You know, I, I do think that if that happens, the LSA regime will be able to respond to it, or it's likely to be able to respond mm-hmm. to it before it does any type of irreversible or serious damage to consumer okay. or, or public interest. So, I mean, there's there's certain risks that you know regulators have to where regulators have to be proactive, and they have to get it right before the risk materializes. Right? So, yeah. climate change. If, if like if we don't get this right in the next ten years, it'll be too late forever. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, n- nuclear power safety, um, terrorism, right? These are things where regulators have to get it right before the problem materializes, because the yeah. the risk is so catastrophic. Legal services, I don't think, are like that, right? It's, especially when you're talking about kind of the consumer sector, and, and you know, the, the kind of unspoken reality is that the whole LSA regime is is mostly all about the consumer legal sector, as opposed to the the big business, large corporate legal sector. Right, but so so it's not that the risks don't matter, but you know, if a new class of website or a new class of legal professional empowered by technology starts um, ripping people off, uh, and you know you've got a, a good power, a good ability to sort of detect that, as I think you do, mm-hmm. then I think that risk can be responded to when it when it materializes. Sort of carry the right. the flame metaphor forward, like it's the sort of thing uh, where you know you can you can wait. To see signs of smoke before you call the firefighters. Okay,
0: so so we so we shouldn't be too worried that about letting something out of the bag, as it were, that that we can't put back in. That you think that if we do have risks, then they are going to be manageable, and in fact, we may need to allow to to allow innovation to happen. We'll need to allow innovation that might be risky, a little bit risky. But you think that the regulatory regime can can handle that and address it if it if it proves to have cause consumer detriment?
1: I think so. Yeah, especially when when the only alternative to that is trying to regulate, um, you know, in anticipation of risks that have not yet manifested. Like that's sure. that's really bloody hard, right? Like you, especially when you know every every new yeah. regulatory innovation you make has a cost as well as a benefit. Like if it protects. Yeah. Uh, against a new type of risk, it also imposes a new type of cost. Like, how can you possibly get that balance right when the risk is one that you're just sort of imagining?
0: And, and potentially, you'll deprive consumers of um, services that are better and or cheaper, or more better access to justice, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Noel, what do you what do you think re- frontline legal services regulators and the LSB ought to do to uh, to get ready to to de- address technological innovation and and the risks it might pose?
1: Well, I mean, to be honest, I think you're already doing it, um, most of it anyway. You know, obviously the Legal Services Board with this technology project is uh, uh, very proactively uh, looking out there for what what you need to keep an eye on. For, for the frontline regulators, like keeping an ear to the ground, like really being attentive to consumers and what's actually happening to, to consumers. I mean, it's uh, in, in my book, I talk about this idea that – Self-regulatory bodies are prone, even when they're not being protectionist, they're, they're prone to be lawyer-centric, right? So right. If, like if a regulator is composed of lawyers, and they talk to lawyers, and all the submissions come from lawyers, uh, and you know, the board of directors gets angry emails and has cocktails with lawyers, then that's um, going to be the way they think of things, right? Uh, so it's like lawyer-centricity. Whereas consumer centricity is what regulators need to aim for, and I think again, like you know, looking at what you've got there from Canada, uh, like you've really got a lot of institutions which are which are designed to create that, right? Like we don't we don't have here, like we have self regulation and it works all right, but we don't have you know the the ombudsman, we don't have uh, like our competition authorities are basically you know quiescent when it comes to legal services and you know we have um americans have bar associations we have law societies um Mm -hmm. which are controlled by lawyers elected by lawyers yeah so so, and and in the paper i talk about a couple of tweaks to that right so like again having the ombudsman deal with or or you know be responsive to consumer complaints about unregulated providers of of legal services uh Mm -hmm. and a couple other things but but like the survey work you you guys do like actually talking to consumers and i'm thinking of the uh, consumer panels work here. I, I think that's uh, that's a really great set of institutions.
0: Well, well, that's that's good. That's good to hear. Do you think we need to have a specific regulatory objective added to the LSA to the Act about technology and innovation to to encourage regulators to to equip themselves properly and and really focus on this issue?
1: I I don't think so. Um, I, I mean problem with – the thing about lists of regulatory objectives is mm. the more items there are on it, the less each one of them means yeah. just based on like you know human cognitive limitations. When you're looking at a list that right. says, oh, okay, we're supposed to do these two or three things. You can kind of like get your head around that and keep those two or three things in mind as you go about your daily work. Mm-hmm. If it's 11 or 12 things, it's just like it, – it's meaningless. It doesn't stick in anyone's head and it doesn't change what anyone does. Right, uh, and I think you know, technology uh, is basically something that changes the appropriate regulatory response, but doesn't change the fundamental goal of, of regulation, which pertains to consumer interests and the public interest.
0: Okay, so it's really just a means of delivery, rather than something wholly different that that regulators are going to have to is um, going to fundamentally change how they have to think about everything.
1: I think that's right. Yeah.
0: Okay. Noel, thank you. That's been very interesting and informative. Our next podcast will feature Anna Donovan of University College London, and it'll be about blockchain and its implications for legal services regulation. And just a reminder that all of the Talking Tech podcasts and papers are available on the Legal Services Board's website. Thank you.